Hello, and welcome to the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and I'm one of the leading experts in online mediation. I have personally been mediating online for over five years now, and I have my own fully online family law mediation and coaching practice. Two years ago, after so many of my colleagues reached out wanting to know how I was doing it, I created the Learn to Mediate Online training program. And to date, I have personally trained thousands of mediators in how to successfully conduct their mediations through an online platform. As a leading figure in the online mediation movement, I am privileged to be on the cutting edge of developments and advances in online practice. And this podcast has been created to share that information with you. So tune in each week to get the inside story on how to mediate online. I invite you to now listen to today's podcast. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today one of my friends from the American Bar Association Dispute Resolution section uh, is joining me. His name is Doug Witten, and I'm very excited to have Doug because he is a very experienced both mediator and arbitrator. In fact, he has 24 years of legal experience. He's mediated over 1,200 cases since he became a registered neutral back in 2003. Um, He's the principal of his own firm, Innovative ADR International LLC, and he's located in Atlanta, Georgia. But importantly for our purposes today, Doug is an online mediator as well. He has been conducting virtual mediations and virtual proceedings. And so today we're going to get that experienced background insight from someone who probably has a practice that in some ways mirrors what many of you have been doing or do, and you're going to get some input from him as to what works, what doesn't work, top tips, and some things to sort of be looking forward to. So Doug, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, Susan, and I'm a big fan of the podcast and appreciate all the work you're doing to promote ODR. So it's really great to be here. Uh, well, and thank you for that. Doug and I have actually known each other for a couple of years. For any of you out there who have read the Just Resolutions edition of the ABA Mediation Committee for the past couple of years, Doug has been one of our co-chairs of that. He's done a phenomenal job, and he just got roped into doing it again for next year. So <laughs> thank you very much, Doug. Hi. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. <laughs> We're excited to have you. With um, You have two co-chairs with that, Gabrielle and Abigail. It's going to be um, a really interesting yes. Look for it next March. Right. Uh, but and, and many other activities with the ABA. So I, I was lucky enough to meet you with that. And we've got we've had the opportunity to be in person at some conferences. Um, but I'm excited to have this opportunity to have you on the podcast because as we were talking about just before we got started, you know, I train mediators and other dispute resolution professionals in how to transition their practice to online. But one of the things that I know is a question for many people is the fact that in my actual practice, I'm a divorce mediator. And in many cases and in many ways, my mediation practice often looks very different in real life, I'll call it IRL, than what they do in their practice. For example, most family mediation is done in joint session, whereas much commercial or civil uh, mediation litigation is done in caucus. So I think it's 
fantastic to have someone on with your breadth of experience, both in person and online, to be able to sort of bring that information to my listeners who come more from, I would say, your professional world than mine. So let's start with, you know, just give them an idea of how similar or or the points of reference uh, to their practice and yours. Tell us your background and, and what your mediation experience is. Sure. Well, um, just real briefly on my background, I started off uh, in private practice as a corporate healthcare lawyer, where I worked in a couple of big international firms, doing a range of transactional regulatory and litigation work. And then after several years of the grind as a mid-level associate, I've become exposed to arbitration and developing fields of ADR and mediation. And I was convinced that those were more efficient ways to resolve disputes and I decided I was going to become a mediator, but you know, how do you do that as a mid-level kind of big firm associate? Well, I wound up talking to a lot of people, did a lot of research and found a Georgia state agency that has a division dedicated to ADR in workplace injury cases. So that was a new area of law for me, but I was familiar with the healthcare issues, some of them. And I also found that my ability to speak Spanish would help address a significant number of disputes and communicate directly with parties involved in workers' compensation mediations. So after a number of years as a mediator and ultimately serving various management roles within the state agency, about four years ago, I decided to return to private practice as a neutral. And my focus areas, building on my prior experience, include workplace injuries, health and contract disputes. So now I would say about maybe two-thirds of my cases involve at least one Spanish-speaking party, and I really do enjoy helping all parties communicate as part of the dispute resolution process. And generally, let's say in a, in a workplace injury case, I'll have an employee who's represented by counsel and then an insurance company who's also rep- represented by counsel. And then these days, um, most of the meat of the mediation is done in private caucus. So sometimes yeah. we're not even having in any joint sessions. And certainly if we do, it's, it's well, quite often, it's not substantive. It's just kind of a hi, how are you? And then the real work gets done in caucus. Right. And so I think that's actually the biggest difference in so many ways from what I do in my general mediation practice, whether in person, online, um, and what many, I would say the majority of mediators. I really think that that caucus style of mediation over the years and, you know, definitely in my lifetime of mediation practice, um, I've seen that caucus style get more and more popular over time. Have you seen the same? For sure, for sure. And I think it's it's even in the in the time that I've been practicing as a mediator, it has changed. I've seen a, a big switch from starting with a joint session in almost every case to now almost none of my cases, frankly, do we start with, like I said, a substantive opening joint session. It's most of the work is done in caucus for better or worse. I think it's just the way it's developed. Right. So that's interesting because I I just had Deborah Dupree on last um, week and we were talking about um, a topic I know you're interested in, the emotional content of an online proceeding. Um, And she was talking about not so much the joint opening joint session, although I have some thoughts on that, but she was talking about the pre-mediation conferences. Um, Is that now, as you've been transitioning to an online practice or as you conduct online practices or uh, online um, 
mediations. Do you do an, a, a pre-mediation uh, conference with each side? I always offer it to people. And when I do it, it's not it's not going to be with both parties together, but it'll be a separate conversation. And I've, I have found that some people really take that opportunity to kind of talk to me and let me kind of get some information about the background of the case. So I don't walk in cold to the mediation. Um, Other people, I think just by way of practice, they don't incorporate that into the way they approach a mediation. And I'll always put it out there because I think it's helpful to everybody, but you know, can't force people to do it, but it, it always helps me. And I think it can be very helpful to get people starting to think about the background of the case and start planning for what might be resolutions that'll work for everybody once they get into the actual mediation. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It, it, it sort of mirrors what Deborah was saying because, and and I think it's true. She said that pre-mediation conference was that opportunity to start to establish rapport with the participants. And so I wonder if our advocates who are listening right now might think that through when they're advising their clients that that pre-mediation conference really gives their clients a chance to start to establish um, a rapport and to give, you you mentioned it, I think this is important, vital information about the case. So as you said, you as the mediator don't go in cold. Right. And I think, right, it's it's, it's the substantive, just the actual information, but also that rapport building. I agree. It's so important. I mean, just to start to get, you know, a feel for the personalities that are going to be involved and some of the hot button issues that, you know, might not be obvious when you walk into a case. If you have a little bit of a heads up walking into it or virtually entering the mediation, then you kind of know where you're going to have to focus your attention and be looking out for certain things that could be potential problems down the road if you don't nip them in the bud and and, and sort of figure out how you're going to manage them as early on in the process as possible. So I think those are always helpful if you have that opportunity to do a pre-mediation conversation or exchange of some type. Yeah, I think I I definitely do it with my clients, even in a family mediation, which I, again, know know is very different. But I I really thought her points and your points are good about um, really looking at the benefits of that, even if it's not what you did before, um, especially with the ODR approach or the virtual approach. Um, And I mentioned you do conduct um, your mediations online, um, online proceedings. Um, are you someone who got started in the COVID era, like so many of our listeners, or, or is it something you got interested in before? Well, you know, this is something I have been interested in for quite a while. I have been really um, become a lot more actively involved in it in, in the COVID area. Era, um, but this is actually I became fascinated by ODR. I, I think it was about ten years ago was when I first really got interested in, it, and I had read some work by. Professor uh, David Larson. Yes, one of our colleagues in the ABA. Yes, it was especially influential on me and also by Professor Noam Ebner, among others, uh, about the growing use of technology in ADR. And they were talking about, in these articles, about avatars and other forms of artificial intelligence. This was 10 years ago. And and about that time, you might remember this, uh, within a couple of months of each other, I think IBM had this Watson supercomputer that won a huge prize on Jeopardy, outsmarted the human contestants. And then in Japan, they had this, 
was like the first robotic marathon or something like that. And I'm a runner. So that was really interesting to me. And then IBM started rolling out the use of this Watson technology in medical kiosks. And we're, you know, using that as a way to approach medical diagnoses and healthcare issues. And so I started thinking, and I wrote a sort of tongue in cheek article about this back in like 2011 in Atlanta's daily report, uh, law.com legal newspaper. If Watson can be a doctor, why not a mediator? You know, and started thinking about how that could, uh, you know, develop into, into the future. And then since, since that time, I've been really following the work of innovators in the ADR field, both in the U.S. And, and internationally. I've been amazed how far we've come in the past decade. And now with the pandemic, and I think I've heard um, another one of our colleagues, Colin, will make a comment along these lines. It seems like the COVID situation has done in a couple of months of course, in large part, thanks to people like you, Susan, um, what ODR proponents have been trying to do for the past 20 years in terms of getting buy-in from mediators and attorneys to at least explore what ODR can do for the process. I heard Colin say that, and I agree. I mean, I had to agree with him because the, I, I've been teaching people how to pivot online for a few years, um, but in the last like two months, it's been fifteen thousand people have taken <laughs> right. the training. It was nothing like that in the two years before that. But you know, I mentioned to you, um, I, I'm lucky enough to get a, a great deal of feedback from all of the people that have taken the training. They're very kind, and I get a ton of emails and and messages from people. People, and overwhelmingly, they are thrilled with the conveniences and the benefits of mediating online. And most of them, almost, again, almost unilaterally, um, have found it to be a positive experience. Um, has that been your experience as you've transitioned online to your, and your mediations? Yeah, and I think, I think people are really pleasantly surprised, you know, just what they can do with the technology and how closely it can mirror kind of what they're used to um, in a face-to-face, you know, mediation proceeding. And like we were talking before the podcast, you know, when you're doing your mediations with a lot of the work being in the caucus room, to me, it's almost an easier transition to a virtual space than it might be if, let's say, you are as in family law, you're doing more of your work, you know, in the joint face-to-face setting. So yeah. I think it really does lend itself this sort of caucus-based style, you know, very well to recreating that sort of setup in a virtual space. I, I have to agree. I always describe it to people when I was doing caucus style um, mediations in person. I did have cases where we had attorney assisted and, you know, we I would have people in different conference rooms. It was usually me in my suit in high heels and carrying a big paper file and shuffling up and down the hallway from conference room to conference room. And now all I have to do is click my mouse right. and and I don't have paper because virtually everything is, is an e-document. 
Um, it, that was one of the first things that I noticed when I first started going online is, you know, m- maybe not great for my waistline, but certainly for <laughs> just the the functioning of the process. Um, and, and the fact that this is one of my, my things about online mediation or virtual mediations, I think that as visual beings, the fact that a virtual mediation is so visual that you can share your screen, that it's very easy to use a whiteboard to show things. Um, I actually have found in my personal practice that my mediations uh, move more quickly. People are able to grasp things and and sort of think things through in their mind more easily. Have, have you found that as well? Again, I, yeah, I, I have. And I think that, again, just having the tools that people are looking at, the you know, looking at the tools right in front of them as we're in the, in the ODR setting, I think it's kind of like a cue to help integrate some of the technology that we already use in our daily lives into the actual mediation process. Whereas if you're face-to-face, I mean, I'm still amazed I see attorneys just kind of noting on scratch pads or as we're going through the mediation, noting the moves back and forth, like on a, almost like a scratch piece of paper when everything else we do is so, you know, iPad and computer and, you know, tablet and all the technology we use in our daily lives. But then we go like kind of in a little time warp and we go into a face-to-face mediation. I think it just, everything's on this. Yeah. Yeah. We go old school. It's just uh, so natural to integrate the technology and ODR kind of gives us a reason and a, and a platform to do that. I think that, you know, there that's very true. And for most of the people that I talk to, although there's a learning curve around learning to use the technology, once they actually get comfortable with that, which doesn't take as long as people might think, um, then they actually do find that those conveniences make the process in, in many ways smoother. It usually takes a mediation or two, or as I tell people, practice with some guinea pigs. Get your family, <laughs> get some colleagues, and get them online to, to practice with breakout rooms. But that brings up a good question because you have conducted a bunch of um, online proceedings. What challenges have you faced in making that transition? Well, I, I do think one of the initial challenges you face is the sort of this is how, how we've always done it factor that uh, lawyers, you know, we like to kind of fall back on that when we can, uh, um, you know, it's just sort of getting to a point where you're willing to try something different. You know, I think a lot of clients might be coming into mediation for the first time and they really, they don't know any other way than an right. online process. And they might be used to doing everything online, like, using the bank and talking to their friends and, you know, interacting with all sorts of businesses and people on a personal level, but it's the lawyers, especially those maybe who've been mediating a long time that might be initially skeptical that we can actually do this thing that we've been doing in person and take it onto a online platform and still have it be kind of what we recognize and what we're comfortable with. So I think that's, you know, once you get over that challenge, like you said, I think people become impressed and amazed at how efficiently you can make the transition. And, you know, and I think part of the job of the mediator is to help people understand what technology can and can't do, make sure everybody's comfortable with the technology or at least as comfortable as they can be. And just recognize that 
although you're going to have an occasional glitch here and there, just be prepared for it and we can adapt. We can be flexible and we can improvise when we need to. We'll all get it done. We just have to kind of go into it with expectations managed and realize that we can, we have a lot of tools at our, our disposal. We just have to be willing to be adaptable when we have to. Yeah, it's such a good point. It's actually part of my opening sort of dialogue with everybody um, is, hey, this is technology. There's going to be a glitch. Don't don't let it throw you. We'll figure it out. Um, and one of my mediators told me she's been starting her mediations as she's sort of transitioned over to online with, hey, this is new for all of us, including me. I'm going to do my best. I know you're all going to do your best, but let's be kind to each other. And right. And she said that's actually been fantastic because it's kind of started everything off on a we're all in this new boat together let's row it you know equally uh and it's been she said it's been a great start to her mediations yeah I like that I like that yeah so there you go everybody there's a tip um, <laughs> so but but actually that that brings to mind so now you're talking about um how the attorneys can be resistant. And that certainly goes along with what I have heard. In fact, I have a whole episode that I did uh, when you're ready to go, but the attorneys say no is one of my episodes because I've heard that so much. But I'd love to know, what do you, what do, you do um, in your practice to sort of help them sort of make up their mind that they might like to try it or to feel more comfortable if they are going to try it with their client? Well, one thing um, I think again, part of the mediator's role should be to make sure people are as comfortable as they can be with the technology. And I like to reach out to people ahead of time and give them an idea of how the technology works and give them guidelines and let them understand kind of what the proceedings are going to look like on a virtual format. And I think one thing that's important is not to force technology on anyone, but give them an opportunity to get comfortable, kind of meet them where they are in their comfort level. And you might have to do more sort of virtual handholding with some more than others, but get them as be, be available to answer questions and help them get comfortable with kind of what to expect. And I think um, just, just offering to give people a run through of the technology before the actual mediation, make sure they don't have any questions that you haven't answered or addressed and make sure their clients, make sure they're communicating with their clients and their clients understand what they're going to have to do technology-wise and sort of process-wise to go through the, the virtual platform. Just kind of line up as much as you can in advance so you can avoid potential glitches as you get to the day of mediation. Yeah, I always say that. Don't tell people that they need, you know, some sort of something. They need a camera or they need a microphone. The day of the mediation, they're already nervous now because it's the day of the actual mediation. Let them know all this stuff ahead of time. Let them right. do the setup. And, and I love that you offer them sort of an orientation run or give them information on the platform. That's very important because if they're not used to doing it, the very first thought in their mind is, this is going to mess it up for me. This is not going to go well because I right. don't understand it. And you can kind of ease into the technology with them too and start, if you want to start connecting with them on other platforms or other formats like email, a phone call, you know, whatever they're used to using to kind of get into, sort of ease into the actual online platform. I think that can also help with the comfort level. And, and you know, if you 
tell them in advance, hey, if something crazy happens with the technology during the mediation, hey, here's my cell phone number. My email, I'll have access to my email. I'll have my phone. You can text me. Just there's ways we'll stay in communication and we'll make sure we get this, you know, all smooth and we'll all be in, in contact the whole time. So just don't worry. We'll, we'll get it done. Just stay with me and, and just, you know, it'll, it's going to be fine. Just relax and we'll, we'll get through this together. You know, <laughs> we're going to row that boat together. That's right? right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's I love right. it. That's right. <laughs> so one thing that I, I wonder about, you mentioned about two thirds, I think of your mediations have at least one Spanish speaking party. And, and I know you're right. fluent in, in Spanish. Right. Um, and a, are a bilingual. Actually, you and Anna Sambold, one of our other um, uh, colleagues with the ABA, did a program for the ABA's conference last month. What was that program called? Right. We were talking about overcoming challenges culturally and with languages during during mediation. Well, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I heard it was fantastic. And that's that's a note to everyone. You can go watch it um, on the ABA website. It's going to be available for up to a year, right? I think. I think that's right. Yeah. So go watch that. But let's talk about language differences because, you know, first off, how does that go when you're online? How, how does the, the fact that you may have English speaking and Spanish speaking or, you know, dual languages um, in an online proceeding, does it present any challenges? Well, you know, it's, it's, this, is a, this is a question that's developing, I think, in part with the technology, but it's something I am really interested in. And, um, you know, I, I think there's different ways you can handle it depending on this, the situation. One thing that makes a lot of the mediations I do say maybe different from the style that maybe you would use in family law is again, we're most of the work is in caucus. So it's not like we typically would have a joint session where we would have a translator sitting and translating word for word, what parties are saying back and forth because that it's not happening. So a lot of the times in the cases that I'm doing, even if I'm involved as a bilingual mediator, the, let's say if there's a, injured worker who speaks Spanish, that worker is going to have an attorney who's either going to be bilingual or they'll have a paralegal or case manager or someone like that who helps with the, or a professional interpreter who helps with the translation interpretation in their caucus space. So now that we're doing more and more the virtual style mediations, you might have I mean, I have seen cases where sometimes the assistant or interpreter is in the same room as, say, the attorney or maybe as the injured worker, but sometimes they're all in virtual spaces. They're all separate. So I've seen different combinations of kind of passing information along between me, the attorney, the interpreter, the client. And what I'm really excited about is to see platforms like Zoom that are offering these um you know, where you can designate an interpreter to have an, uh, their own audio channel, for example, yeah. and have attendees select their own language channel to choose audio and hear the live translation during a session. And there's other cloud-based, these multilingual web conferencing platforms that are being developed and allowing simultaneous translation interpretation so they can stream real-time interpretation into a meeting. So, you know, this is something I'm really keeping my eye on and trying to kind of figure out how people can best incorporate these things into the mediation platforms. But I think it's just going to, it's something that is developing in a way that could actually make 
this part of the, the process even more effective, giving you access to a different range of interpreters and more maybe simultaneous translation as interpretation as opposed to the consecutive style. So you're going to have just as technology advances with the platforms, I think you're going to see these language platforms developing as well. And it's just really the, the possibilities are really interesting and exciting to me. Yeah, I think, you know, the technology, especially one of the things that I've seen in the last two months as our world has changed and as dispute resolution has shifted so dramatically to online um, proceedings is a lot of like venture capital money and a lot of innovation has uh, turned toward the platforms that are providing us uh, with ways of conducting our mediations online. And some of those that are um, created just for us, things like Modren and Legaler, Dispute Resolution Online, Crick, which is Colin Rule, mm-hmm. um, Ethan Katz. I mean, those those are actually very, those creators are very open to suggestions about adding certain modalities and functionality to their platforms that will help us very specifically. And I spoke with one of them about that very possibility of adding um, a language translation um, aspect to it. Another one is adding an e-signature so that you don't have to get DocuSign or Adobe Sign or something separately. It'll be built right into their platform. So it's exciting exactly what you're talking about because with this, this sudden shift and dramatic shift, innovation is shifting as well. So things that might have been years down the pipeline are just probably months down the pipeline right now. Right. And it's it's all happening as, you know, as more and more people are doing their mediations online. We've got the, the Singapore Convention last year. I mean, everything's opening up and international mediation. I mean, if you know, it's just amazing if you start to look into the different platforms that are that are that are developing all over, like South America, Latin America. You're, I mean, all over the world, these things are real. There's so many platforms out there that are working on the same sorts of ideas that we're going to have more cross, um, you know, boundary and, and cross border oh. disputes. And, and you know, it's going to be just that the world is just kind of opening up to these opportunities for people that can you know, bring people that get together virtually and also have the language capacity that will allow more people to communicate and hopefully resolve disputes as efficiently as possible. And that's what we're, you know, I think that's part of what we're all trying to work towards here. That's that's us, right? That's yeah. we are the peacemakers of the world, or we try to be. So right. I, I right. love that we're getting more tools to help us, um, and they're becoming more apparent. And, and you actually, to, to say that, um, I want to point out, uh, you are doing a wonderful blog series. Uh, you ca- it caught my attention, obviously, you know, my, my area of, of interest, but you've been doing this great blog series. So tell us about that, because I want people to know where they can go read the past ones, but also keep following it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Starting in the spring, I've been working on this developing special ODR blog series that, um, you know, it's really not so much about how to use the platforms, which I think everyone's learning that from people like you, Susan, and the people that are really just jumping on, you know, how to technically, as a mediator and advocate, use the platform. But this is more kind of about once you're up and running, how do you actually negotiate and persuade and read other people and convert your best in-person skills to being most effective online. So, I mean, we have to, 
recognize that being online is not exactly like being in person, but part of um, being effective, I think, as a mediator and advocate is recognizing how you use your skills and being able to maximize their effect on an ODR platform. So, for example, if your style were to depend on kind of raising your voice and bluster and overpowering others and talking over them and physically intimidating and stuff God, like that. I hope not. No. Like in the power <laughs> position stuff, you know, that's not going to really translate very well online, I don't think. So on the other hand, let's say if you're sort of well-prepared, organized, you're a good writer, and you might sort of say to yourself, how can I incorporate these skills into my online online mediation style? So how can I maximize my opportunity to be persuasive and be effective as a negotiator, recognizing that there are differences in, in the platforms, but just thinking about how, how am I actually most effective as a negotiator? Yeah, that's such a key factor for people. I love that you said that because I always tell people the the whole point of taking your in-person practice and transitioning it to online is not to change what you do. It's to take the best of what you do in person and figure out how to do it online. Um, We're not looking to change you or change your, we all as mediators develop a style to our entire process. And we all, as you said, there's the blustery one in the power (laughs) pose and there, you know, there's all different. There's the empathetic, there's, we all have our different uh, strengths and weaknesses, but, you know, figuring that out for ourselves and figuring out how to translate it online there, you have, I've read all of your blogs that have come out so far. Um, and you have some great tips and pointers in there. So I highly recommend that people go read the ones that are done and keep following it. I've been following you on LinkedIn. That's where I've seen them. So I know people can follow you on LinkedIn and read them, but where else can they get them? They can go to my website at innovativeadr.com and forward slash blog. And that's Perfect. my blog and the new blog series is right there. How often are they coming out? I try to post every week or so. At least once a week. Yeah. Yeah. Is my goal. Wonderful. Yeah. They really are. They're truly helpful. They're, I think of them akin to this podcast series, right? I'm trying to bring people up to date things to think about, things that are happening in the field. And I, I see your blog post is very much in that vein of, of really trying to help practitioners who are transitioning to do it in the best way they possibly can. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I everyone go read the blog series. You can reach out to Doug through your website. Yes. Yes. And I'm on, like you said, I'm on LinkedIn is a good place to find me. You're going to go get a flood of LinkedIn uh, connection requests <laughs> in the next when this comes out. Um, but uh, please reach out to Doug if you have any more questions. All of his contact information will be in the show notes as well as a link to the blog. That'll also be in the show notes. So if you just want the easy click on click, uh, go to the show notes for this. And Doug, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your sharing that experienced insider view with uh, those who are listening. Well, thank you for having me, Susan. It's been really fun to talk with you and really appreciate all you're doing, again, to just promote ODR and to to keep people informed and interested. And I think this is going to be so important as we all move forward together. So thank you for all you're doing. Thank you. And it's an exciting time for all of us. I, I, I see a new normal in our future. Absolutely. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. 
I'm Susan Guthrie, and if you liked this episode, please give me a five-star rating and tell me what you did like in a review. Join me each Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. to hear another episode, and be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss one. Send me your questions and comments at susan at learntomediateonline.com. And you can find out more about my trainings and programs at learntomediateonline.com. I'll see you next week.